Well, good morning, church. It is good to have you all in here worshiping together. It is good to come together and worship. And I know there's some people that can't be here. So let's continue to pray for those that are sick or shut in or they're wherever they may be. Um, this week, I ask you to continue to pray for Tina McQuillan, her family, with the passing of her mom, Norma Baker. I told you last Sunday, I was standing here and I said, she texted me, she said she doesn't think she's going to make it through the rest of the day. And sure enough, after we left here, we had a meal and we had a baptism we went to and then drove over to hospice and prayed with her. And while we were there and talked with the family, we prayed a second time with her and she ran into the gates of heaven. And um, so this past week we had the funeral. And so just be praying for that family, be praying for Betty May. Many of you know Betty May. She used to sit like right here, second row. That was her spot. She told me if she ever came back, she goes, my seat better be open for me. Uh, if you know Betty, she's feisty. Uh, she still is. She's in mentor Ohio now being taken care of. And uh, just be praying for her as well and others who are shut in or can't be here. Hey, grab your Bibles. Uh, we want to open up and have another adventure here in the Bible and uh, see what God has to tell us through another person. Um, remember, God's always the main character, but he gives us other characters in the Bible that we get to learn from. I don't know how you handle being patient and waiting on things. Um, for some of us, it's like, this has been six months, you know. And some of you are like, finally, the big ten, you know. And, and so some of you have been patiently waiting for different things in your life. Some of you, it's a little bit more drastic. It's not football. It, it's not with maybe doing school the way you used to do school. Maybe it's something else you're waiting on, something you're being patient for. You're waiting for a report. You're waiting to hear something. And it is hard to wait. It is hard to wait through dark moments in our lives, and like, when will things get better? When will this happen? There's uh, an author and a pastor by the name of Max Lucado, and he said this. It's from his book, You'll Get Through This. He says, you'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. From his book, and it's a really good book, it's, I don't know, seven, eight years old, maybe longer. A very timely book as of right now, if you want to pick it back up. But when I look at that quote and I read that book, I sat there and I thought, well, how can he say that? I mean, really, when you look at that quote, how, how can he say that? How can I preach that? Not just live it, but tell you to live it. Tell you to trust those words. It's a little challenging, isn't it? And how can I give that advice to others? Well, grab your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis 37, we're going to have somebody help us understand that quote a little bit more. And it begins with a 17-year-old named Joseph. You remember Joseph? He was loved. He was hated. He was favored. He was abused. He was tempted. He was trusted. He was exalted and at the same time degraded. He's all over the place, right? But in his 110 years of living, he never took his eyes off God. He never stopped trusting God. And so from his life, he was a great man. He wasn't always living the dream, but he was a great man. And we're going to learn some things from him this morning. So let's start. Verse 1, Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan. 
where his father lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilal and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Hashtag, he's an ark. Okay, verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. There we go. There's our setting. He's 17 years old, and his family hates him, except dad. He's daddy's favorite, right? I'm sure none of you understand that. Your families are perfect. You have no favorites in your family. You probably, well, some of you are like, oh, I don't know. I was sort of the favorite to my mom and dad, right? You may or may not have been. I don't know. But when we read at the very beginning, it says this, Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other children. We know we're in trouble right away, aren't we? Not a great way to parent. Obviously, when you're playing favorites, somebody's going to feel gypped. Now, remember, Jacob had two wives. Leah and Rachel. His true love was Rachel. But when she died, it was as if his love for Rachel transferred over to his son, Joseph. Joseph was their first son, but remember he had another wife and other uh, women and ended up having like, what, 11, 12 kids. He was the 11th son, but he's treated like the first son Jacob's favoritism of Joseph was obvious source of conflict in the family, and you're going to see it come up here in a few verses. We also find out that he was given a special robe, a robe of many colors. You've maybe seen the play or the movie. I don't know which one, but I couldn't find a picture of it. I, I googled Joseph's colorful robe, couldn't find it. A lot of cheesy cartoonish pictures, wasn't going to put that up there. Because we don't know what it looked like. But what we do know is that it wasn't short or short-sleeved. It was mostly long-sleeved and long. Which meant it wasn't a worker's robe. It was a robe of privilege. Joseph got this. The other brothers didn't. Somebody is being shown favoritism by the clothing they get as well, right? Everybody else gets the hand-me-downs. Not Joseph. He's getting something pretty special, something new. Look at verse 5. One night Joseph has a dream. And when he had told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think... You'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So if you can imagine this dream, they, they understood perfectly the meaning of this dream. One day, they're going to bow down to Joseph, and Joseph's bragging about it. He's like, hey guys, I had this great dream. You're all going to bow to me. Okay, they already hate you, Joseph. So why is he fueling the fire, right? What did he he think they were going to say? Oh, we're so glad you're bragging about yourself, Joseph. I can't wait to bow to you. No, it's not working out that way, is it? Let's read on. Verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream. 
Again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He said, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Now, if Joseph was unwise in telling that first dream, what does this say now about him telling the second dream? I mean, why would you do this? They already are mad at you for the first one. Hey, the favoritism is obvious. You get a beautiful coat none of us got. And now you're sharing these dreams and you're bragging about it. Oh, Joseph. You just sort of keep piling it on, pile on. Something is eventually going to break here, right? The tension in families, and you know this, the tension in families can build and build and build to finally, there's going to be an argument. Something's going to go down. And it's not going to be pretty. It happened. Look at verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off this beautiful robe he was wearing. Well, we back up. Where did he arrive to? Oh, did we forget the old narking part? Dad, Jacob, was like, hey, Joseph, your brothers are off at Shechem with the sheep. Go find them. Give me a report back. Joseph takes off. He gets there. They're not there. They've moved to a different place called Dothan. Now they're at a new place. He finds them. And as he's off in the distance walking up, they're already scheming. They're like, here comes that brother of ours. What should we do about him? They're scheming to kill him. That's when he walks up with that robe and they rip it off. Verse 24. They grabbed him. They threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, but there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat... They looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum and balm and aromatic uh, resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting them, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. An abandoned cistern, this is what it looks like in the same uh, location on the right. Can you imagine? It's it's probably jagged inside. It's rocks. It's dirty. uh, It's dark. It's dried up. And the 17-year-old who had been stripped thrown down in there, probably tied up at his hands and his feet, probably crying out until his voice is hoarse from yelling for his brothers to take pity on him, to rescue him. And he's just down in that pit while they're having dinner, sitting around the campfire eating, talking about what they should do. You sit there and think how insensitive that is. A demonstration of the depravity of the heart of mankind. We sit there and think, how could you just sit around and eat a meal while your little brother, a 17-year-old, is in a pit? You're talking about how to kill him, how to get rid of him. The heart of mankind is evil at times, isn't it? It still is today because we know today parents have abandoned their kids. Parents have abused their children. And we sit there and say, how could you ever abandon or abuse your child? But it happens. And for those of us who are like Joseph, we're the ones who are like in the pits, 
What's it like for you right now? What situation are you facing right now where you feel like my life is in the pits right now? I feel like I'm alone. I feel like there's people just out there just talking about me. I feel like I've been abused or I've been forgotten. I'm telling you, when you're down in the pits, as Joseph was, where else do you have to look? Because if all you look to the side and you look down, you got dirt, you got rocks. Where did he look? He had to look upward to his only escape, the top of the cistern, right? And for a lot of us who go through troubling times, we need to remember that when we are going through all this, where do we look? Upward to God, the only one who can rescue us. We look up to our Heavenly Father. We just think about the perfect Father, a good, good Father, right? Listen, not all people are God's children, even though you might hear that on social media. Oh, we're all God's children. Says who? Says who? Well, I heard it. Let me tell you what I've heard in God's Word. We're not all God's children. But those who confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, yeah, you're saved. To all who believe, he gave the right to be called children of God. John 1, 12, right? For those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, yes, you've been adopted in the family. You are God's child. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for. Church, listen, before you had a friend before you had a job, before you had a position or title, before you made the team, before all of that, God chose you. God chose you. Some of us think, well, it only matters if, if I get chosen for something. It's like, yeah, that's nice. But understand this, God chose you before all that. Years ago, um, I got contacted by a ministerial association in another town, and they said, hey, we've got a baccalaureate service at our school. Would you come and be the speaker at the baccalaureate service? Here's the date and time. And I was like, let me get back with you. So I checked and made sure everything was fine. Contacted them back and said, I'm free to do it. Love to do it. They said, uh, never mind. We decided to go with somebody else. Oh, so actually I was your second choice or maybe third choice, right? And it's like, wow, that sort of hurts. Thought you wanted me. See, we all know what it's like to be second choice or third choice, don't we? But God says, you're my first choice. We need to remember that. Joseph, I'm sure, had a hard time remembering that. Especially when they pulled him out of the cistern. And the traders start checking him out like an animal. Oh, let's check for fleas. Check behind his teeth. Let's check out his body. Make sure he's a good worker. Let's see what he's worth. And then they start pinching and prodding and then bartering over him. I'll give you 30, 15, 25, 20. Sold. Are you kidding me? Like a piece of property. Probably didn't feel like he was chosen by God, did he? Next thing you know, he's tied up and he's walking off to Egypt. With that caravan. He lost everything. He lost his coat, lost his home, lost his family, lost his job, lost his, all that he had. But as we read on, we'll find out that he never gives up, right? Because here's the thing. He lost everything he had, but you know what he did not lose? He never lost his destiny. A lot of us in here are going to lose things in life. 
You might lose something every single day, but you know what you'll never lose? You'll never lose God's calling and purpose on your life. God's called each and every one of you in here for something. He's given you a destiny to fulfill. He's given you purpose. You will never lose that. You might lose money. You might lose your house. You might lose a loved one. But you will never lose that calling upon your life that God's called you. You are God's child. You're chosen by him. He's given each and every one of you in here purpose. I understand that life is short in comparison to eternity. But God's chosen you. And when all else seems gone, God is not. Do you hear me, church? When all else seems gone, God is not. What helps Joseph throughout his life is that he trusted God. Oh, he trusted God, the God of great-great-grandpa Abraham and grandpa Isaac and father Jacob. That was the God he worshipped too. From a young age, it was instilled in him. And he understood something really important about God. And he shares it later towards the end of his life. I'm going to give you a quick preview into that. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says this. Joseph's talking to his brothers after they have this incredible turnaround. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it, what? For good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I love how Joseph understands that evil and pain hurts. And that some people will intentionally try to hurt us. But God's love trumps all people's intentions. God's love overrules all people's thoughts and intentions. Let's read on. The adventure continues. Genesis 39, 1 to 5. Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders. He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Look at that next next sentence. The Lord was with Joseph. Did you see that? You might want to underline that. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and he realized what? That the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From that day, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. All his crops and livestock flourished. Did you see that? You see, when Joseph arrived in Egypt, he was not alone. The Lord was with Joseph. When he was in the pit, the Lord was with Joseph. When he walked that caravan, the Lord was with Joseph. And when he arrived in Egypt, the Lord was with Joseph. And when he was in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with Joseph. Are you all following me on this? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you too. The Lord is with you too. Joseph believed that God was going to bless him right where he was at. Joseph wasn't like, you know what, when I get out of being this slave, when I get out of this cistern, then I'll serve God. Now he believed that God was going to help him right where he was at, even in his worst of times. And a lot of us sometimes, we discredit God like, well, God will have to help me after I get out of this situation. Maybe God will work in my life when I get it all together. And God's like, I'm working in your life now. Because I am with you now. 
We see this all throughout Scripture. Exodus 33:14. It says, The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Psalm 51, 10 to 11. This is David praying that God's presence wouldn't leave him. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's like praying, God, don't leave me. And God's like, I'm not. Remember, the Lord was with Joseph. I'm with you, David. I was with Moses. I'm with you, Saul and Samuel. Just keep going down the list, right? Psalm 139, 8 to 10. David later says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Zephaniah 3.17, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Beautiful verse. Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. See, our emotions sometimes can be all over the place, but emotions can't overrule truth. Truth always wins out. Truth is the Lord is with you. God is with you. He will never abandon you. He'll never leave you. Turn to Genesis 39. Pick this back up in verse 6. Joseph is serving in Potiphar's house. You know, things are looking good, but some problems come up here. Verse 6. Joseph was a very handsome, well-built young man. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in the entire household. Oh, Joseph, man, be careful here. Don't make matters worse by doing something you're going to regret. Even though Joseph could have come up with any one of the excuses he wanted. He's like, man, I haven't been with a woman. Um, I've been, you know, gone through all this in my life, this beating, this abusing, this being left alone. Why not comfort myself with a woman? But he didn't because he did not want to disappoint Potiphar. He didn't want to disappoint God. See, a lot of us are like, well, I don't want to let so-and-so down. Hello? How about we shouldn't let God down? He said in verse 9, No one is here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife, Potiphar's wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against who? God. See, Joseph understood the Lord was with him. The Lord is his God. And anything he does is either going to please God or disappoint God. And he wanted to please God. He didn't want to sin against God. Sin is a way of tempting and luring us away from God, away from others, away from the church. That's what sin does. Sin pulls us from God. And then sin pulls us away from the people we love. And then sin pulls us away from the church. Verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, when no one else was around, he went in to do his work. She came, she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left the cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. When she saw that he was, she was holding his cloak and he had fled, 
she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard his scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left a cloak behind. You see, this is what Joseph did. He chose character over pleasure. He chose godliness over lust. And then she's got this cloak here, and she's embarrassed because she just got turned down. So she falsely accuses him, and his reputation is ruined, and his life is now in trouble again. His reward, his reward for all of his work, his reward for his great choices, prison. It's like, man, bad situation, right? I mean, what's God going to do with this? Here comes evil again. But remember, with evil intentions, God can still bring good. The apostle Paul was put in prison, right? What did he do? He wrote a bunch of letters to churches that we can now read. How about John? He was put on an island in exile. What did he do? Oh, he wrote the book of Revelation when he was on that island. God gave him that revelation. What about Lazarus? He died. Jesus let him die. Oh, why? Because it was going to be the greatest comeback in history when Jesus brought him back from the dead. With every evil intention, I'm telling you, God can bring good from it. And he shows us that. Look at verse 21. So he's in prison, but what does it say? Well, here he is again. But the Lord was with Joseph because he never leaves. Just saying. The Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. The Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. And over everything that happened in the prison, the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Anybody in here feeling like Joseph? Abandoned? Lonely? misunderstood, falsely accused, worked hard, get nothing for it. You ever feel that way? Maybe you're waiting on things to happen. It's like, come on, God. And God's like, I'm still with you. Not left you. Never abandoned you. Joseph trusted God. He served them faithfully, even in prison. And here's the thing. He's in prison. He could have put on this big pity party. Oh, I'm in prison. Look at my life. I hate life. Life stinks. And then a cupbearer and a baker get thrown into prison with him. And they have these bad dreams. And they wake up in the morning. Joseph looks at their faces. Obviously, they had a bad dream, a nightmare, right? They're disturbed. What does Joseph do? Serves you right. Yeah, listen, my life. My life's a nightmare. No, it says he looked at them. He says, while in prison, look at the verse, chapter 40, verse 7. Pharaoh's cupbearer, baker, each had a dream one night. Each one had a different meaning. Verse 6. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. No, you see, instead of having a pity party, oh, poor me. He looks to go love somebody and show love towards somebody. You know, a lot of us in our moments of pain, we don't know how to respond. It's easy to have the pity party instead of reaching out. In moments of being lonely and uh, maybe falsely accused or being like it was for Joseph, some of us are like, I don't know how to respond to all this because I really want this in. Oh, like for instance, right now, six months of a virus and we're like, when are these things going to end? When are we going to get back to doing other things? We become very impatient with a lot of things in life, don't we? 
Many of I'm telling you, man, I'm an impatient person. I'm a, I guess I reflect our nation. Let's, let's be on the move. Let's go. I'm, I'm, if there's somebody in front of me driving one mile under the speed limit, I'm annoyed. Sorry. It's 55, not 54, as if one mile matters, right? I don't know why I'm that way. It just happens sometimes. If I'm in the grocery store or anywhere and I've got a cart and I'm looking before I go to checkout, six aisles. Where's the shortest one? Who's got the least amount of items in their car? So I'm, I'm, I'm calculating. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I know some of you in here are just like that. You're just waiting, right? Which one should I go? I'm impatient. I, it's just the way it is. Basically, what I come to re- realize is our world is like a waiting room. Some people wait to hear if they got the job. Did I get the letter? Am I accepted into the school? Did, did, I, did I get the promotion? Has the report come back? Did I get my paycheck yet? Now, I'm going to share something here with you, and I'm going to confess. You know, I'm always telling you, you guys need to let us know when something's going on in your life so we can pray for you, okay? So I kept a little secret from you because I was waiting for results. So uh, 10 days ago, I had outpatient surgery to remove a cyst on my back. That's outpatient, okay? And I wasn't going to tell you until I find out what the results are because it's like, I'm not going to get you worrying until I need you to pray for me, okay? So cyst, let's find out what it is, right? Um, so here's the thing. My surgeon is a strong, uh, heavy accented Russian. He's from Russia. So he's got a heavy accent, strong man, very short in words. And, um, he examined the spot on my back before the surgery. And he just looked at it. And he goes, Hmm, I've got good news and bad news. I'm going, all right, good news. It needs to come out immediately. Bad news. I don't know what it is. Oh, you're the specialist. You're the surgeon, right? Um, all right, good news, bad news. So then he goes, you want to be awake or you want to be out? I get a choice. I want to be awake. This would be cool. So I'm going to be awake during my surgery. So, because I've done it before with some of my skin cancer. So I'll be awake. So get in a room and they'd ask me, what kind of music do you like? I'm thinking, uh, Christian radio, K-Love. And the, and the nurse goes, Lauren Daigle. Okay, sure. So I get in there and then you, you say who, you say who I am or what I can't remember that is. You guys know the song I'm talking about, some of you. That was the song that started playing when they started working. And then um, about the time they pulled the cyst out, still Rolling Stones, that's when it came out. I was thinking, sweet, now I got a song that go with my mind whenever that comes out, right? But as they're working on it, and my shoulder's numbed and, and everything, and I'm sitting there and I'm feeling tugging. I'm going, hey, how many stitches are you putting in? Stitches? I don't count Stitches. Emergency room, they count stitches. Oh, we put 50 stitches in this guy. They brag about it, not me. Okay, cool. Uh, So why did you leave Russia and come to America? I don't know. I was trying to create conversation. I was getting a little woozy, so I needed to take my mind off of it, right? So they uh, they asked me, you want to see the cyst? I'm thinking, sure. You know, they're patching me up, and they show me the cyst. I'm like, wow. So I got a picture of it, and I'm going to show you. Ah, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Did you? I grew up in the church where the missionaries always showed those gross medical pictures. Oh, we we're in Africa, and look at the goiter on this guy. It's like, I'm like, oh. You can hear people groaning in the church, so I just wanted to mess with you. Um, <laughs> I don't want you to get sick. Um, so anyway, they said, we'll call you in five to seven days. We'll let you know. Um, I'll put that back up there and make you get hungry here. Um, we'll call you in five to seven days, and we'll let you know what it is. And I said, okay. So five days passed, and I'm thinking, no call yet. Six days, no call. Now, remember, I'm impatient. 
like a lot of you, right? Seven days. Well, any time now, right? Then I'm in my mind, well, if it was bad news, they would have called me on day four, right? Or maybe they don't want to tell me. It's day seven. They haven't called. Day eight, my, you know, it's like phone. Anytime the phone rings now, I'm like, I don't know the number, so I got to answer, right? Hello? <sighs> Car warranty again, right? Marriott, I won something again, right? Not really. So on my answer phone, finally, I thought, I'll call the surgeons. So I called the surgeon's office, and they said, oh, yes, yeah. Um, what you do is you need to call this number. So I'm writing down the number. And it's like, okay, but call on Monday because they're out today and the rest of the weekend. I'm thinking, no. Oh. So it's going to be day 10 now until I finally know. Okay, so why am I sharing this with you? Because I get it, what it means to be impatient. When some of you have waited for test results or you waited for news, you've waited for something to happen, you've waited for a big moment in your life to come and you're like, God, it's going to happen? You know what's helped me during this time? The Lord was with Joseph. I know he's with me. And for that reason, my fear level, my anxiety level, pretty down low. Really down low right now. Because I know God's with me. And I trust him. But it's not always easy, right? You think about this, Genesis 30, uh, 37, 23. When Joseph arrived, ripped off his beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him, threw him in a cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Now that took 10, sentence for, 10 se- seconds for me to read that sentence, Right? But the amount of time that his brothers abused him, threw him in the pit, and talked about him was probably hours. Genesis 39 goes on to say, So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by Joseph's brothers, pulled him out of the cistern, sold him there for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Now, that was about 15 seconds. Sometimes I stumble over those bigger words, right? But from where he was to Egypt was 750 miles. And if you calculate it, walking about five miles an hour, that's about 150 hours. That's a long time to think about what your family did to you. It's a long time to think about what's going to happen to you. We can read all these these stories in seconds or minutes, but we need to remember it was longer. Joseph served Potiphar as a servant, as a slave for 11 years. In Genesis chapter 40, we read, Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their master. Two years in prison. Two full years later, Pharaoh remembered a dream he was standing on the bank of the Nile. He's in prison. Joseph's in prison. He translates the dream to both of the baker and the cupbearer. And he says, you're going to be released in three days. In three days when you get out, remember to tell the Pharaoh about me. You know, the 17-year-old that was abused and brought here and was a slave for 11 years. I've been in prison two years. I've been done nothing but succeed when I've served faithfully to your masters. I'm the one that gave the good news. So remember to tell Pharaoh about me. Well, the cupbearer gets out. He forgot. So he's still in prison. Genesis 41, two full years later. 24 months of nothing, 104 weeks of waiting, 730 days of, is it today? Is it today? Day six, day seven. Did I get my phone call yet? For Joseph, it was day 724. 
Pharaoh remember yet? Waiting's tough, isn't it? You know what happens when we wait? We begin to lose hope. We become very cynical. Our heart hardens. We get mad. We give up on our friends. We give up on our family. We give up on God. But you know what happens next? Pharaoh has his dream. The cupbearer remembers. And he brings Joseph out. Joseph interprets a dream, but he gives all the credit to God. All the credit to God. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I'm going to redefine the word wait for you right now. Because for me, me waiting, my definition of waiting stinks, okay? Waiting is, for me, assuming the worst. Worrying, fretting, wondering what bad thing's going to happen while I'm waiting. Believing that nothing is going to happen. That's my definition of waiting. Let me put something up on the screen here. We actually sort of sang this song earlier. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. David gives us a little insight to redefining wait. Be still. Wait for, pay, wait for God to act. Waiting is not a time of inactivity as I would think it. Waiting is sustained effort to stay focused on God through prayer and faith. Waiting is, God is still with me. God, I'm praying to you right now because I know you are with me. That's sustained effort. It's not waiting like, I wonder what's going to happen. Waiting is time to refocus and trust. And that takes effort. Trusting that when an alarm goes off, God's aware of it. Trusting that I don't have to get up and pace across the room and think about what's going on. Because you know what? God is already aware of it. He already knows what's going on. As the Lord was with Joseph, he is with you. As the Lord was with Joseph, he is with me. I don't know what you're waiting on right now. Maybe a pandemic to end, maybe a job to get better, maybe a relationship to take place, maybe for things to settle down in some area of your life, maybe for a report. I don't know what you're waiting on. God knows. And God is with you. I believe that. I believe that. You know, one of the hardest times as disciples of God, because that's what we are, we're his followers, right? Let's go back in history. The history when Jesus Christ was crucified and buried. How do you think his disciples felt on day one after that? How about day two? They're probably starting to question, I thought God's never going to leave us or abandon us. But on day three, a resurrection took place. Amen? Because God can conquer death and sin. He can conquer anything. So whatever you're waiting on, there will be a time when you'll get that answer. I believe it. Until then, understand this. God is with you. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, I know sometimes we think, are we going to get through this? Are we going to make it? And we're reminded that sometimes it's going to be a little painful and maybe it's not going to be quick. We might have to wait. But in the midst of waiting, Lord, help us not to fret or worry. 
but help us to trust you that you are with us. So God, I thank you, Lord, for this church, the many people in it, because right now we have a room full of people who love you and a room full of people who probably have something they're waiting on right now. And you've promised not to leave one single person. You are faithful and you are true to your words, and I thank you for that. So God, I also want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came here to rescue us from sin. And when he was killed and buried, he didn't stay buried, he rose from the dead to give new life, and then he gave us, you gave us your Holy Spirit. We are never alone. We are never alone. God, thank you for that truth. In thy name we pray. Amen.